Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By having any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Mascaro is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me again this week on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and it has been an exciting week for the show because I received word a couple of days ago that the show was won gold for Best Sports Podcast Episodes and Specials at the W3 Awards that are sponsored by the Academy of Visual and Interactive Arts. This is the second time in three years that the show has won gold there. I couldn't be more excited and grateful to them, to my guests, and to all of you for your wonderful support. The show has reached the heights that it has because I get the privilege of talking with so many wonderful guests, and I have your fantastic support. So thank you very much. You guys are all awesome. Okay, on to tonight's show. I have four of the best instructors and coaches in our game that I get to share with you this week. And we are, of course, on the heels of the Ryder Cup, so we're going to be reflecting back on What went right for the European team? What went wrong for the U.S. team? And how do we fix it before we get to the Ryder Cup again in two years at Bethpage in New York? My guests are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry, is back. He'll be followed by one of the all-time great men's college golf coaches and the host of On Course, the show which you get to hear every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM's PGA Tour channel. And that is Frank Darby. Very excited to have Frank as part of the show with me this week. Later on in the hour, I'll be joined by Plain Truth Level 3 instructor and another great friend of the show, Andy Trainer is going to be back. And then we're going to round it out with one of my all-time favorite people, one of the best instructors on our game on top of that, and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Shreno, making his 18th appearance with me here tonight. So thankful to Rob for all of his wonderful content that he has shared on the show over the years. So we're going to have a lot of fun this week, folks, and I can't thank you enough for being here and taking the journey with me tonight. You know, folks, with the show now being available on TribLive.com and with all my Yinzer friends up there in the Pittsburgh area, you get to start to meet some wonderful individuals in and around the city. And I did just that with Caroline Cease and the folks at Enchanted Destinations. If you're ready to start planning your dream vacation, be sure to check out Carolyn and the folks there at Enchanted Destinations. If you're planning to go to Disney World or Universal Studios, take a cruise or vacation at an all-inclusive resort, go to EnchantedDestinations.net and Carolyn and her folks are going to help you out and plan the perfect getaway. They're great people doing great things and they are a wonderful help for anybody that's looking to book the perfect vacation. And thinking of the perfect golf getaway and buddy's trip location, remember our folks over at the Macklemore. 
which is a wonderful resort located just south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, high atop Lookout Mountain. It is a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the U.S. by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction and will open summer of 2024. And the Outpost is another wonderful Bill Bergen and Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge with every inch of that edge filled up with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton will open spring of 2024. Both have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You got to see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at McLemore. Go online to McLemore.com to book your stay and play package. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin Grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel in your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now joining me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tom is getting ready to start his winter residency at Crown Colony Golf Club down in Fort Myers, Florida. If you want to take your game to a new level and take all the cash from your buddies, go see Tom because he keeps telling me this all the time. The weather stays pretty warm throughout the fall and winter down there in southwest Florida. Check out his over 300 free video lessons on his YouTube page. Now, combined, his Giants and my Steelers probably couldn't beat Fort Myers High School right now. But I'm glad that if my team stinks, so does his. Good evening, TP. How are you, my friend? <laughs> you sound like you're a million miles away, TP. And you are, aren't you? So, see, I am uh, in the White Beast, heading, let me just check my, heading southwest on A1A. I've got the Gulf of Mexico to my right crystal blue water and Atlantic to my left crystal blue water passing over one of the bridges one of the 27 bridges leading to Key West Florida for TP's birthday week <laughs> that's right you got a birthday coming up on Friday right yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be 100 this week oh right you don't look a day over 95 my friend oh I appreciate that big man and speaking of our our respective teams, our Giants and our Steelers, and we can't forget about our Yankees and our Red Sox. We're having a hell of a year, aren't we? We're having a hell of a year. Man. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to be happy about it, don't we? Yeah. Uh, come on, hockey hey. season. Oh, right, wait, wait, um, football season. Let's see. Our baseball season was over around July, and our football correct. season has, has barely gotten started, and that's over. Come on, that's hockey. That's correct. That's correct. Let's go, Rangers, baby. Let's go. <laughs> we go, Penguins. <laughs> oh, All right, Tom. God. 
we got let, let's talk well we, it's not we're not gonna talk about anything happier than that because i, I want to get into it tonight and obviously we've got to break down what happened to the u.s team over in the Ryder cup because that is just as bad as our steelers and giants um i want to kind of go through it systematically a little at a time and starting with zach johnson's decisions with his uh, captain's picks i know we were all of you know all over what was going to happen did you pick the right guys there was a lot of pressure on picking JT and and not picking Keegan Bradley or Cam Young. The way things turned out, I I think it's hard TP to assess because to me, Justin Thomas didn't play badly. He was one two and one overall, I know, but for most of the time he had Jordan Spieth tied around his ankles. He won this singles match. Let's start there. What'd you think about what you saw from those guys? JT did a nice job. I mean, he, he did himself proud. I mean. I was skeptical about the pick. I admit that I was, uh, I, I was not, you know, I, I was more skeptical, not because of his ability as a player, but because I didn't feel like he earned the spot. And I, I wasn't a Cam Young guy necessarily, but I was, I was a Lucas Glover guy. And I, I knew Keegan Bradley deserved it, but I also know he was sabotaged by the fact that he's not really well liked by the, uh, by the, he's not one of the boys. North- the love triangle, Ricky, JT, and Jordan. Um, so I, I didn't think he had a fighting chance going in in that respect. But I thought JT, you know, did fine. I mean, he played well. He he, he was a he was sabotaged definitely in all the team competitions with Jordan, who couldn't get out of his own way. He played uh, he played a little bit like you, Miss Carol, a little bit like you in, in the team competition. It's like if if somebody gave me you as my partner. At the club one next week, at the club next weekend, I, I would feel like my chances weren't really great. <laughs> wow! I'm just telling it like it is, my man. So well, let's talk a little bit about Jordan Spieth because here's here's my fear about Jordan. And Jordan played well on the front nine. I mean, there was there was one hole where he was just off the green. You could barely see the top of the golf ball. The guys were talking about, you know, he's got no chance here. This is, you know goodness knows where this is going to go kind of thing. And the next thing you know, he chips it in. So he's really good on the front nine. Where Jordan fell completely apart is on the back nines. And that's where my overall fear about Jordan is when the pressure is on, he just completely disappeared. I mean, he had two balls in the water, not on the same day, but two balls in the water on 16. You know, there was a drivable par four, and people were sort of speculating because in the last – foursomes he and jt are on that tee and zach johnson is standing there and he has some sort of conference with the boys and jordan had driver in hand the next thing you know he puts the driver back in the bag and then takes out the three wood and then promptly puts it in the water they were thinking that uh, zach was telling him what club to hit and zach johnson denied that just saying he was trying to give the guys as much data as he could to make their decision he wasn't telling them what club to hit he just was giving them information but whatever that information was, got Jordan to put away driver, take out three wood, and like I said, next thing you know, is in the water. But I'm 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 concerned, TP, about Jordan and his mindset. It just seems like when the pressure comes on, he's not the best. Are you done? I am done. Okay. So first of all, one of the great short games in the history of the world, right? Yeah. But if he didn't have a short game, he'd be working on a garbage truck somewhere. <laughs> okay, because he he hits like okay. How's that? How's that for a quote? You can wow. Quote and I don't get I and I think listen. 
The guy is very talented. There's no two ways about that, okay? And the things I see as a teacher, instructor, if you will, in his golf game, and I've said this for a long time, we've talked about this before, the things that he does in his golf game that I don't like, for a player of his ability, I think are very, very fixable. And for whatever reason, and I don't know the reason, he and Cameron McCormick have never addressed certain things that I think continue to come up when the heat is on, because I think they're fundamentally unsound. And when you apply, you apply a lot of pressure to them, they, they don't they don't hold up. Now listen, you can argue he won the Masters, he won the U.S. Open. When he's great, great around the greens, which he is very often, and he's just adequate from tee to green, just adequate. He's dangerous. He's dangerous. But when he when he's off from tee to green, he's not bad. He's horrific. He's her. I mean, just off the charts. So Zach, whether he talked him into three wood or not, he talked he talked the player into the layup club, and then he hits the layup club in the water. I mean, really? I mean, come on. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I mean, what's got to be going through Justin Thomas's mind at this point? This guy is sitting it all over the place, and then he puts him out there the next morning in alternate shot. Justin's got to be saying, "Are you kidding me? Really? You know." Give me a mascara. Give me anybody. I'll, you know, <laughs> give me somebody who can find it after he hits it. You know, it's uh, it was it wasn't ideal to say the least. So this begs the question: If you're seeing things that you think are easily fixable that McCormick isn't addressing, or he and uh, Jordan together aren't addressing, what are the things you think are fixable? I think his legwork is really, really suspect. I mean, he gets really, really funky with his legs at times, and the sequence of his lower body and his upper body are really distorted at times. You know, he, he hits that kind of hang-on block shot with his arms, where his arms get disconnected from his body. You know, things that, you know, we fix every day at the club level. This guy's a, this guy's a really talented dude. Now, listen, Faldo went through a major change with Ledbetter. Nick Price went through a major change with Ledbetter. You know, um, we could talk about, you know, guys who made major changes in their golf swings that took the time to make change that were less, I mean, that were far less complicated, you know, than with Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth's things are really fixable, Chris. Really fixable. And I think that a guy at his level could do that, I would say he could do that in under 60 days with his skill level. And I, and I don't get, I mean, if you look at him on video and break him down, it, it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. And you can understand why he has a lot of foul balls. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily fault Cameron McCormick, because oftentimes behind the scenes, a coach will ask a player to do something, and they'll wave the coach off. And, you know, you, know, you don't want to damage the relationship. You want to hang on to your player. At some, to- at some point, you have to have that really heart-to-heart with the guy and say, listen, this, this keeps occurring, keeps coming up, you know, either we work on this or, you know, I'd maybe maybe you need to see, see somebody else, you know, and, and you got to do that for the betterment of the guy. Sometimes you got to swallow your pride as a teacher and, and make that hard call and get, and get the guy's grill. So I don't know if it's Cameron McCormick not addressing it or it's Jordan not wanting to address it. Now let's change gears a little bit and talking about pairings that went south. Zach's decision to start the match is Friday morning. First match out of the shoot, Tom. Scotty Scheffler, Sam Burns. To me, 
and I get yeah. again, these guys are the best of friends. Got it. They they chose to play with one another. Burns was a was a captain's pick. But right out of the shoot, so like strategically, I'm I'm struggling with why do you go with those guys right off the bat? I mean, if you're going to pick Justin Thomas and you're sold on Jordan Spieth, and the reason why you may have picked Justin Thomas is because you're going to pair he and Jordan together, and they're eight and two together prior to this Ryder Cup, and that they've led all Presidents Cups, Ryder Cups together. If you're making the decision to pick him, you would think you're making the decision to put those guys out first. But you don't. You go with Scheffler and Burns, and then that group, 0-2-1 last time around in the President's Cup. That was that was Sam Burns' first sort of, he's a rookie in the Ryder Cup, he was a rookie in the President's Cup. They didn't play all that well together. Well, they sure didn't play well together again. <laughs> so that's the thing where, again, I get that you're picking Burns to play with Scotty because they're the best of buds. But you also pick JT to play with Jordan because they're the best of buds. And because of their record, you certainly didn't put Scheffler and Burns together because of their record. I know it's easy for all of us to throw darts after the fact. And I love Zach Johnson. He's a wonderful human being. But there's just so many holes in what happened and how everything was set up. I just I'm shaking my head. It made zero sense to me, Tom. I think that Zach made, you know, listen, it's, it's, it, you know, it's easy to beat somebody up in retrospect. And listen, I have all the all the respect in the world for Zach Johnson as a player. Um, I think he, I think these whole, this whole thing with analytics and, and, and pods and this, that, you know, some, you know, Nicholas did pretty good without pods and without analytics. Arnold did pretty good without analytics. Pod. Hogan did pretty good without analytics and pods. Sometimes you just got to go with your gut. And if you look at that from a gut check standpoint, would that be my first choice? No, it certainly wouldn't. I mean, the obvious first choice, like you said, is going to be JT and, and Jordan. Maybe it was, uh, Home and more power. Maybe it was, I mean, you can go down the list and, and, and think about a lot of guys, you know. I, w- I would have rather seen JT and Ricky in the first match than JT and Jordan, the way Jordan was playing, you know, even going in. Um, so no, it made, it made no sense to me at all. And I think Scotty, Scotty's been putting not, not very well as he, as he continues to not very, you know, putt very well in the Ryder Cup. Um, I, I want somebody who's making some putts or, or is, is known as a good putter going out in in in, in that first match of the day, uh, that would not have been my first choice either. To that end, Tom, the place where it seems like the European team gets the advantage on us all the time is your mantra: short game, short game, short game. They chip yeah. it better. They chip in on us all the time. We did have some good chip-ins uh, during the course of these matches, but so did they. And then they put the lights out. And we fall apart, it seems, all the time because we don't do either of those things really well. So you would think that if you know that going in, that what's going to make us successful and what's made them successful is the short game area and certainly certainly the putting on the green. I got to have guys that can putt the lights out. I think that goes back to something else too, Chris. When you, your, short game's, your short game in competition is only going to be sharp, sharp if you've been competing. Um, and you've been under, you've been under heat recently. When you have that time off, um, no matter how much you're practicing at home, so to speak, you're not practicing and you're not hitting shots with the green light on. And the Europeans played, you know, played it, played it, Wentworth, BMW, um, escapes, but they played another event in there somewhere. And our guys had five weeks off. 
with the right. exception of Justin, Justin Thomas. So short game, um, practicing short game with your buddies at the club and hitting a short game touch shot with, you know, with the oxygen tank on is very different. So I, I think the, 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 uh, the choice of these guys not to do anything for five weeks was, was really, really a bad move. Um, just, just not, not, not real intelligent. Um, and I think they showed up flat. They showed up pretty rusty. They certainly got better on the last day, but they'd been playing competition for two days before that. So I, I think that was a mistake that, that was reflective of their short game. So let's take that a step further. I think you're exactly right. It almost feels like we were we put ourselves behind the eight ball before the matches ever started. That five-week period of time where those guys didn't play. Meanwhile, the European team, as you point out, were overplaying in the BMW, where seven other players finished in the top ten. And then right. the next week they go over and they play their practice rounds, and then it's the Ryder Cup. Our guys sat around for a month. We did go over there. Nine of them went over there for a practice round. But then there were still a few weeks before the Ryder Cup. It just seems like that piece of allowing the players to get cold, followed by some strategic issues and the pairings and when you put people out and when you put them together. I mean, for crying out loud, Ricky Fowler, who played in the afternoon on Friday, he had been sick. They talked about how there had been some illness traded amongst the players. Brian Harmon talked about, you know, hey, we get on a lot of planes. We're going through a lot of airports. We're in a lot of hotels. It's going to happen. They didn't use it as an excuse to their credit. They got outplayed and they recognized that they got outplayed. But you put Ricky Fowler out there earlier and he is, here's a guy that was excused from a lot of the gala events that week because he was so sick. Well, why the heck are you putting Ricky Fowler out in the first day? Let him wait till Saturday if you want to get him more than the, just the singles matches. Don't put him out there on Friday. He couldn't. Yeah, he wasn't healthy and, enough to do the other stuff. To that point of, of you know illnesses and airports and planes, I, I never got the idea. You fly over there two weeks before. You fly through seven time zones from the west coast, and and then back, and then back again. I mean, if you're going to do that, if you're going to go over because you want extra looks at the golf course, go over an extra three days early, one time right before the right before the ride comes. But you fly over there and you fly back and you fly over there and you fly back. I, that never made any sense to Chris at all. I mean, first of all, you get it's exhausting. The travel is exhausting, and you're 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 increasing the chances of somebody getting sick. You know, I, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. I think there's so many so many things that Zach did that Baldy made that you can look back on. And again, let me be fair. It's easy to look back and be critical, right? It's easy after the fact to be critical, but I think there are a lot of mistakes like that made. The other thing that uh, ended up being a head-scratcher, sticking with Scotty Scheffler, was the loss that he and Brooks kept at 9-7, and seven, Tom. 9-7. and seven. I mean, it's yeah, the well. worst loss in Ryder Cup history. It's practically the worst possible loss there is. You lose 9-7. and seven. And I tell you what, I went back through that match and looked at the highlights, and it was all on Scotty. I mean, the guy couldn't keep the ball in the fairway when he was hitting it off the tee. Brooks would get him in the fairway. He'd hit a terrible second shot. I mean, it was, it was the same sort of deal with, with JT and Jordan happened in that match. I felt like Brooks Kepka must have been losing his mind because every time he would hit a good shot, Sheffler would put him in a terrible place. 
when you're playing foursomes like that, it's just brutal. I'm going to get roasted for this one, but I'm going to go ahead and put myself on the chopping block. The same thing I said about Jordan's footwork and legwork, I say about Scheffler under under pressure. That footwork and legwork is very bad, okay? I get how good his record is. I get how talented he is. And, and I'm going to go back to speed. He had a, he had that one great year where he was unbeatable, and not that he hasn't had some good good finishes since some good events. And he and he goes through these spurts where he has hits just horrifically bad golf guys. When you don't have a good bottom, you don't have great footwork. And I, I'm a big believer in great base and great footwork. You, you get under extreme pressure, some funny shots going to happen. And Scotty hit a lot of funny shots. Brooks had to be Brooks had to be just like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> that was like, please, dude, just hit somewhere where I can find it. You know? Right. Um, it was ugly. It was ugly. Yeah. Let's talk about something that's a little positive. Max Homa showed up and showed up well. He's the star of the team. He's the only guy that had a winning record. The Sunday singles came down to him at one point. If he doesn't make about a seven-footer, the matches were would have been over a little sooner than they were, and the guy steps up with ice water in his veins, and he drills that putt. So Max Homa showed well for himself. Okay. To me, that that's a guy that's a budding star. Yeah, Max Homa is, is, is definitely what I call California cool, man. He just, he's, he's, you know, he, he's been on a steady rise for a long time. He's gotten, you know, incrementally better every single year he's been out on tour. He, uh, seems to do all of his things, all of his different skills a little bit better each year. Um, got a great demeanor. He's very, very calm out there. Uh, he's, he's obviously a very bright guy. You listen to him speak. Um, he did a hell of a job. I mean, in, in a lot of tough situations. I thought he did a wonderful job. Um, he was definitely the star of the show, no doubt about it. He was the only, as you said, the only part of the show. So where the show started to go a little bit sideways was late on Saturday afternoon in the, <laughs> in the Patrick Cantlay match. Now, again, Patty Ice, Guy stepped up. They're, they're, they're one down going to 16, and he birdies the next three holes to turn what would have been a one-down loss to a one-up victory. Got a little dicey, though, on the 18th tee, or on the 18th green after he sinks that 43-foot birdie putt. <laughs> Guy shaking there you know, with the hats and, and your buddy Joey LaCava. And Rory McElroy and then Shane Lowry. I mean, it all started to get a little testy about how, I guess, the U.S. decided to celebrate that putt. Again, it was reminiscent of 99 when we started to celebrate before Bernard Langer had an opportunity to make a birdie putt that would have halved the hole. Rory still had a putt at it. Matt Fitzpatrick still had a putt at it. Rory got a little... uh uh, upset with uh, Lacava, whether that was because he was in his eye line or was barking at him or what have you. So that guy got, got, got a little something on the green, and then it carried over into the parking lot. But let, you know, Joey. About just, let's not forget about Justin Leonard at Brookline too, with Jose Murray Lafayette too. Yeah, that was a little. That was the same deal. So here's what's interesting to me, and, and I'm I'm sticking up for my friend here. I'm going to stick up for him. I've known Joey for a long time. And, and that's not Joey's MO at all. I mean, far from his MO. As a matter of fact, if anything, he's 
more on the quiet side and more on the reserve side. I, I don't know the story yet, Chris. I'm sure I'll hear it at some point. Um, I gotta believe something else happened out there earlier in the day that had him pretty pissed off. It was just, that's just not his MO. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just not him. Um, and he was obviously really fired up and really, really, you know, you know, out of control there. And, and, and in fairness, as much as I love the guy, I do love the guy. And I hope I hopefully find out someday that there was a reason for it. But a caddy has no business doing that with a player who still has to fight. Um, so I can understand why Rory was hacked off. As much as he was hacked off, the thing in the parking lot is not really clear to me either because it seemed like Bones was trying to intervene there. Um, and we can't see who was behind Bones in the video. We don't know who it was, whether it was Joey or somebody else. But Rory was out of control and a maniac in the parking lot. So there was a lot of emotion there. But if we go back historically to the Ryder Cup, it seems like every year, every year you can look back and you can see somebody absolutely lose their mind over something that would, ha would happen. And that's just a, a byproduct of the passion and the, and the love of that event, how intense it gets out there. Um, that's what the Ryder Cup does, which, which is why we watch. You know, it's why we, we tune every year. It's kind of like NASCAR. You tune in waiting for the car crash, you know? Um, <laughs> you who's going to who's going to flip over and what's going to happen? Let's hope, let's hope everybody's okay. Nobody gets hurt, but we want to see something happen. Well, the Ryder Cup is the same way. We, we know something's going to happen or somebody's going to go absolutely berserk at some point, but it seems like it happens every year. Um, sticking up for my man Joe here. Something, something set him off earlier that carried over to 18 green. Not that he did the right thing. I don't think he did. And I'm sure he'd tell you he wished it hadn't happened that way. But I think there's more to that story we don't know. Speaking of Patrick Cantlay, he and Xander Schauffele kicked up some controversy during these proceedings. Xander, and the days afterwards from his father more specifically, Patrick Cantlay, during the event, both of these guys were rumored to want to get paid to play in the Ryder Cup. Xander Schauffele's father came out and talked about using his image and likeness to the profit of the Ryder Cup and or the PGA of America, Patrick Cantlay is said to want to get paid, and that's why he didn't wear a hat, because the hat didn't fit. It was what he said. Others said it was in protest. This thing got way out of hand, particularly on, on Saturday afternoon following their match, and we'll get into the Julia Kava thing in a moment. And let's set the record straight for those who don't know. The guys don't get paid per se, but they're each given $200,000 to give to the charity of their choice. Profits from the Ryder Cup and the PGA Championship, which is a PGA of America event, not a PGA Tour event, but the proceeds go into the retirement fund for not just these 12 players, but about, I don't know, 150, 200 of the players get money put into their retirement funds from the profits of this. So, TP, let's take a step back. I want to get your reaction. Should these guys start to get paid? Is that a thing? I, I, I think, first of all, I think the Patty Ice thing with the hat, is total bullshit. He has played events before without a hat on. Okay, so if he said he didn't want to wear a hat because it didn't fit him right, I think that's the end of the conversation. I think 
the press makes too much out of that. They wanted something and they ran with it. I think it's total bullshit. He answered the question. Hat didn't fit. I don't really like the word a hat that doesn't fit. I've, I've played without a hat before. End of story, but they kept riding that way. So I think that's horseshit. The NIL money deal, I think Xander Shopley's father should keep his mouth shut. He, he, this is not the first time he's put his foot out there and, and inserted it into his mouth. And I think, I think that Xander, if in private, if he poured true serum down his throat, would say, Dad, just, just leave it alone. You know, just, just, just leave it alone. I don't think Xander Shoffley or anybody else would, would give up a spot on the Ryder Cup team ever because they didn't get paid. Listen, it's the spirit of the game. It's an international event of the highest order and prestige. Everybody in the world wants to play on the Ryder Cup team. And if you don't like it because you're not getting paid, then don't play. But I, I, I have no, no qualms. And, and listen, as much as I am a PGA member, I'm not a PGA rah, rah, rah guy. I, I, I love the PGA of America, but I'm not like a rah, rah, rah. The 200,000 to charity is a great, great idea. I think it's the right thing in the spirit of the event. I think the, the contribution to the players' retirement fund is a great thing for the, for the PGA Tour itself and their players. And you know what? Not only, Chris, like you said, they, they, they don't pay for anything. They're flying, out, flying over there on a private charter. They're staying in a five-star hotel. They're being wined and dined at the highest level. They're being outfitted. Their wives are being flown over. Their caddies are being flown over. They, they, they don't put. They don't reach in their pockets for a thing, not for a, a diet coke. Okay. And anybody in the world will tell you, I want to play in the U.S. Ryder Cup team. I want that on my resume. I want to be part of that. I, I think the Xander Shopping father thing. You know, he needs. He needs a gag order. So let's look at it from forty thousand feet. We lose. We lose on European soil again. It's been thirty years. Everyone's talked about that. How long it's been since we've won an away game. But overall, we've lost eight of the last eleven of these things. Why is why is the European team so much better at this than we are? I think I think you know, I think it's the you know in in Seattle they call you they they tell you Seattle was a twelfth player right in in Europe it's Seve the ghost of Seve man um, your your Red Sox team suffered with the ghost of Bambino for a long time. I think there's a certain a certain aura about what he created that they have wrapped their hands and heads around and they ride it into the sunset every two years and it gets them more fired up as a unit and, and it's it's more personal to them. And and that's a hard thing to create if you don't have that that mystique, that sevy, that 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 person, that event. That, that one thing that you can latch on to. Um, it's amazing how unified they become, how hard they pull for one another. And not that our guys don't pull for one another, don't get me wrong, but it's, it is that certain aura that they create and they, and they pump that thing hard. I mean, I thought, I think Luke did an unbelievable job, unbelievable job in that locker room and creating that atmosphere that, that just gets him so, so tuned in to the event. Um, and listen, 
everybody wants to beat the big bad wolf, right? Everybody, they, they, you know, they got the little chip on their shoulder, like the little guy. Um, you know, it's just, you know, everybody wants to beat the New York Yankees. Everybody wants to beat, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, it's just, and the Europeans want to beat the big bad wolf in America. It's, it's the quintessential chip on their shoulder thing, and it really works. It works. And it's it's interesting that you say that the aura they create and that sort of thing because Shane Lowry was interviewed and asked the same question and he to your point said we're a team we come together as one and I don't know I'm I'm not saying that you know the guys on the U.S. side aren't pulling for one another to your point aren't rah rahing you know all week long and that sort of thing but there just just there seems to be a way that they take it to another level. That we have no yet doubt. to reach. I'm going to give you a little prediction, Chris. Here's what's going to change in Beth Page and the next event in Europe. I'm going to I'm going to roll the dice, and I'm going to bet you anything you want to bet that the next captain of the next two Ryder Cup teams, home and away, is Tiger Woods. Okay, and he's going to be able to create an atmosphere because of who he is and how much they respect him. That he can change the attitude to the level and, and, and to the, into, into the cultural level that they need to change it to play golf in a, in a more inspired way. I'm going to bet you Tiger Woods is the next Ryder Cup captain, both home and away. And that's interesting that you say that, Tom, because I was thinking to myself, you know, Tiger's going to get one of these. And would you want him to get the next one at Beth Page? Oh, would you yeah, want to hold him on? Would you want to hold on to him if you're not to your point? If they're going to go two in a row, and the Europeans are already saying they want Luke Donald to be the captain next time, so right. God bless him if he gets back to back captaincies. But if Tiger, if if Tiger would agree to do two, great. Let you know for for that sake, let Tiger be the team captain until he just can't do it anymore. Let him be a captain forever. But if he's only going to do one. I don't know if I'd want him at Beth Page or I'd want him to break this curse, if you will, in the away game. I think that I think they're going to announce him at Beth Page. They're not going to announce him two in a row. They're going to announce him at Beth Page. They will win at Beth Page, is my prediction. And then after Beth Page almost immediately, they're going to announce him for the next one then. And everybody's going to be all fired up about it. Um, Chris, as you know, I, I grew up on Long Island, and Beth Page was one of the places I played growing up as a kid. If they sell, if they, I'm making this up because I don't know the number. If they sell 40,000 tickets a day, there'll be 65,000 people on that property. That public course, Blue Carl Golfer, who calls Beth Page home, they will be climbing over fences, running through the woods, sneaking in any way they can. And because it, it's their home, it's a different a different mentality in New York, and Beth Page is the quintessential home of the blue collar golfer. It'll be a mad. You remember what Sergio went through at Beth Page? Yep. Oh, uh, well, let me tell you something. They will torture the. They will torture those guys there. Torture them. <laughs> It'll be off the charts. And by the way, I, I am. I'm already making plans to be there for that. One. Yeah, that would be a, an event to be a part of. You get Tiger Woods as as the captain. You know the the team that we obviously aren't going to know who the six guys that qualify for a long time. But the captains' picks would be very interesting to see who Tiger yeah. would go yeah. through. 
So uh, that would be a lot of fun. So I, I agree with you. I think that's the way that uh, this team needs to go for the next couple of these events. Tom, before I let you go, remind everybody how they can stay up to date with the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's on your website or on social media. Well, the only way you can find me right now, Chris, is in Key West um, with a margarita in about an hour and a half. <laughs> Uh, and cash out, I don't care if anybody finds me right now. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's Tommy's birthday week, and he's going to be off the radar for a little while. But that being said, all the usual places, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, and my website at TomPatry.com. And before I let you go, Chris Mascaro, why don't we share with everybody out there about a little tiny award you won this week? Yeah, I can't be more grateful to you and to all of my wonderful guests and our fantastic listeners. The show won gold at the W3 Awards. Just got announced earlier this week. The W3 Awards are sponsored by the Academy of Visual and Interactive Arts. And and thank you to all of them and to the judges. But the show won gold for the second time in three years for best sports podcast episodes and specials. I'm over the moon, excited and thrilled and appreciative to everybody. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so certainly huge kudos to you because you're a huge reason why this show is where it is. Let me tell you something, pal. You're so full of crap. It's because of you and the homework you do and the hard work you put into this, the blood, sweat, tears you put into this. And I'm going to say this out loud. Hey, Golf Channel, AESPN, wake up. Here's the talent that you're looking for. He's right here. Come and get him. <laughs> I appreciate you, Tom. You're the best, my friend. I hope uh, the time in Key West is as great as you're hoping it's going to be. I hope your birthday is off the chains good. And I can't wait Thanks, to catch pal. up with you again in a couple of weeks. I love you, pal. Talk to you soon. You bet. Take care, TP. Bye, buddy. That is a great Tom Patry. Again, Tom Patry Golf. On Instagram, TomPatry.com is the website. Be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. Get all those free playing lessons from the best there is, Tom Patry. They don't come better than that guy, my friend. We are so lucky to have him as part of the show. And as much as he wants to deny it, he's a huge reason why this show continues to get recognized at the level that it does. I couldn't be more grateful and thankful to anybody for making this show what it is. And Tom Patry, we'll catch up with him again in a couple of weeks. Coming up next is going to be one of the all-time great college coaches, a fantastic broadcaster now, and just one of the legends in our game as a whole, and that is Frank Darby. Looking forward to talking to Frank. Before I get to him, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year, and I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 
14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arco's Caddy when you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to Construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T dot com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Now next on the tee with me is Frank Darby. I'm sure you know Frank from his show On Course, which airs Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM's PGA Tour channel. He and his partner, Brian Crow, they are fantastic together. I listen to them every week on my way home from the 680, the fan studios. Frank has a rich history in our game. He graduated from St. John's University and would later coach the men's golf team there for 20 years. He led them to multiple NCAA regional appearances and the 2014 Big East title. In that 2014 season, he was named Coach of the Year. Among the many great players that he coached there over the years was 2011 PGA champion Keegan Bradley. Frank served as president of the Big East Golf Coaches Association, and in 2008, he was a member of the NCAA East Region Advisory Committee. Following his time at St. John's, Frank became the head coach at Manhattan College, and in his first season there, he led the Jaspers to their highest finish in program history, placing second at the 2016 MAAC Men's Golf Championship. Frank has been active in the Metropolitan PGA section for over 30 years and served as tournament operations director. He also served as head golf professional at Nisiqua Golf Club for 11 years and then Colonial Springs Golf Club for two years. Like I say, he is a legend in our game, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have him with me this week on Next on the Tee. Hey, Frank, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for that intro. I I, I kind of forgot I did some of those things. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, Frank, we all know what a great golf coach you have been at the college level, and uh, and, and we, you know we're going to get into some of that a little bit uh, later on in the show, but Take us back long before that. How did you get involved with first starting to play the game of golf? Uh, well, my dad, uh, like I grew up in Queens, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, 10 miles at the most, probably not even that far from uh, Times Square in the city. My sky, the skyline of New York City was, uh, you know, every day you look out my back window. So uh, it was kind of tricky trying to find places to play since there weren't a lot of golf courses. But my dad used to take me out to a couple of the public golf courses, and um, I went to a, a pretty famous uh, uh, all-boys uh, athletic high school here called Archbishop Malloy. Uh, they had a lot of great basketball players, a legendary uh, coach named Jack Curran, uh, both baseball and, and basketball. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of made the freshman team in baseball, kind of didn't like the team aspect too much. Um, uh, and again, they had a lot of good players there. And then my dad introduced me to the game of golf when I was like, uh, you know, he had already introduced me a little bit to it. So I guess I was like, 
you know, 15 or 16, I used to take a, a bus and a train. Now I'm starting to sound like my dad. Oh, I used to walk four miles to school <laughs> and, you know, all this. But, uh, you know what? It, it, and it was, uh, it was kind of cool. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of got lucky in that, you know, I remember the first tournament I ever played it. My dad dropped me off and you know, he wasn't really well, you know, he was a, he just played. He was a New York City detective and played with his buddies whenever he had a chance. And he dropped me off at a Met Golf Association boys junior qualifier. I hadn't, I don't think I'd ever played in a tournament before. And all of a sudden I'm coming down 18 and I'm even par. And I'm like, what wow. the heck's going on here? You know, and I ended up being the medalist and, uh, you know, it was kind of like off to the races. So, uh, you know, that, that's what got me going. And, you know, I think the one thing that I did that we're not seeing a lot of kids do it right now, but I did caddy for about nine years, eight or nine years, maybe even more. And, uh, what a great thing that was, you know, I mean, boy, it, you know, it, it kind of made you love the game even more because nothing was worse being out there carrying two bags, a cart, raking bunkers, you know, finding balls. But, you know, it really made you just, you couldn't wait to get off the loop and to get out and play as well. So it was a, it was a big help. Uh, I wish we could get back to those uh, old days of, um, you know, caddying. And uh, I miss my caddy master. You know, we had the typical uh, caddy shack type caddy master. You know, if you wanted a good loop, you had to bring him a sandwich. And if you wanted, you know, so, <laughs> you know, so uh, I kind of miss those old days. And, uh, you know, I guess as I'm getting older and older now, I, I do think about them a little bit more. And it's amazing how, you know, all of a sudden you just, kind of driving in your car and it's kind of quiet and all of a sudden these you know really cool memories come back frank so many great players and instructors have come out of that met section like my previous guest tom patry who texted me uh earlier and, and and talked about you 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 also texted me about him and you said that you and tom grew up together i'm interested to hear that story yeah so uh you know tom lived on the island uh, lived further out on the island. Actually, a pretty good haul out for us, but uh, a, a, a great golf professional in our section, uh, just a fantastic player named Mike Diffley. So we both grew up in, in Queens and uh, we used to go out and, you know, you, you meet all these guys, you meet the guys you want to really meet and hang out with when you're playing in junior tournaments. And, you know, Patrick was one of them. He was a good player. So the three of us kind of, you know, played well. We'd each catch a win here and there. And, uh, uh, we had a riot with Tom, uh, Tom Patry, and I tease him to this day, and Mike Diffley would agree. Uh, we, when we were in, uh, in college and maybe during the summers, uh, the only reason why we went out and hung out with him was because, uh, he'd pick up the tab. <laughs> <laughs> that I can imagine. That would be the reason to hang out yeah, with Tom. Patry. That, that would be a reason why we would drive a hundred miles round trip to, uh, you know, just to be with Patry as well. But uh, he, he's such a good guy. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, we all kind of went our own ways. I mean, Mike and I were both head professionals in the section. Tom was uh, uh, just a great instructor at, at you know, Friars Head and, and Westchester Country Club and working with all these guys. So, you know, and we would see each other all the time. And, and it's always been, a, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when the three of us get together because it really is, a, you know, we haven't seen each other in a, in a couple of months. And it's just, uh, let's just get on. All of us, you know, it was almost like a, a fight, really close to having a fight, but it was it was fun as well, you know. So. 
And because there there have been so many talented people in and around the Met section for the 30 years that you've been there, who are some of the other great people you've had an opportunity to spend some time with? Oh, hey, listen, you know, uh, so after I was a head professional and then when I took the job uh, at St. John's uh, after the old coach had passed away and guys like Mike Diffley and them said, well, you're the I mean, I was actually playing pretty good. I almost won the national PGA national match play. I made it to the finals. Uh, you know, and I started playing good because I wasn't worrying about a lot of things, just focusing on my game. And then all of a sudden, the, uh, my old coach uh, had passed away. He was there for like 50 years. Great guy, Jack Gimler. You know, they said, well, you know, you're the only guy that's not doing anything. Meanwhile, I was doing a ton. And, uh, so I took it over. I said, I'll take it over for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, that's what, um, you know, kind of got me into the, uh, golf coaching, uh, ranks. And, uh, so I met so many people and to, to supplement my income, I started working for the Met PGA and the tournament operations uh, uh, thing. And, you know, we've got a ridiculously uh, uh, full schedule here. I mean, it was like 120 days a year. And uh, so, uh, you know, so it was great doing that. And I met so many great people. And, you know, like I, I like I said, I've been a PGA member for 42 years now. And uh, I have as many friends that are in the superintendent's ranks right now, too. I mean. I like being in the trenches with those guys. So I got a pretty good education about the whole, you know, the business of golf and and being around all these great, you know, club professionals. And, uh, you know, and and Sirius has been great, too, because we bring a lot of our Met section guys on, you know, guys like I mean, I, I was lucky because I worked for a guy named Joe Ennis out of North Hills. Right. Actually, that's where I grew up caddying as well uh, as the assistant. And. He, I really liked hanging out with the older professionals, guys like Gene Boric, you know, and, and, uh, boy, you could learn so much from all those old guys, Loring Hawkins and, you know, the, uh, John Kennedy. I mean, the, the list and, you know, Daryl Kessner and Rick Hartman. So, you know, it, it, it there was such great diversity here between just the great teachers and the great players. And I, I've always been amazed at how, um, uh, these players, you know, guys like Daryl Kessner uh, can still play at that high level and still run a just a, a fantastic operation. Frank, I don't think enough people realize the amount of great golf courses that are around New York City and Long Island. What are some of your favorites and maybe a couple of courses out there that people just aren't aware of? Well, hey, listen, you've always got, you know, the, the Hamptons one out there. You've got, uh, national, you've got uh, national golf links. You got Shinnecock and, uh, uh, you got Sabonic. Friar's Head is definitely in my top 10. Um, you know, th- then you've got like Maidstone, for example. Uh, they just had a collegiate event out there, the Hamptons Collegiate. We almost had, and I still find this a really interesting, uh, subject. We almost had somebody shoot 59 in a college golf event. I mean, I still find it amazing with as many great players have come out that nobody's ever broke 60 in a college event. And, uh, you know, it, ha- it almost happened the other day with Nick Dunlop. He, uh, he lipped out on 18 for 59 and shot 60. Ooh. So, you know, that was pretty cool. And then, you know, as you work your way back close towards, um, the North shore of Long Island and, and the South shore too. You know, you got places like the Creek and, uh, you know, actually I bypassed one of my favorites. Uh, I was the head pro at a place called Nissaquah, got on about three quarters of the way out. And there's a wonderful golf course. If you come down here called St. George's, uh, country club. And 
they came in and just did a remarkable job on the redesign. It got it back to a, took a lot of trees out. It's links. It's, uh, if you get a chance and you're down here, just go out and play it because it's one of the, you know, they've got like square greens and, you know, they, they definitely used, utilized a lot of old pitches and just made it fantastic. But, um, so we got, when I was coaching at St. John's, my guys got very, very lucky since I had worked with all the, still working with all the head professionals at places. I could just call anybody up and say, Hey, can I send, you know, six guys down? I really only had a six man team. So we would go down and play some wonderful South Shore golf courses too, like Rockaway Hunt and Sea Wayne. But then you come back up and play, you know, deep there where Daryl Kessner was. And, uh, you know, it, it's like where you guys are, where everybody is. There's so many great golf courses. And, you know, I mean, uh, New York and Long Island is, and, and then, we would branch up once in a while and take some rides up into Westchester. It really wasn't, uh, you know, uh, that long a drive. And Westchester is like a whole other scenario up there between Wingfoot, Quaker Ridge. I mean, you just can't name all the great courses. There's just too many of them. I want to go back to your time as coach at St. John's. The 2006-2007 season in particular, you guys are down in Florida playing in the Treasure Coast Men's Classic. George Lotus and Keegan Bradley are on the team, and they shoot opening rounds of 61 and 63, respectively. Two of the best rounds in St. John's history. Keegan would go on to win that week. Do you remember that tournament? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm the one that set the golf course up. Um, you know, uh, actually, George played fantastic. George had a shot at, definitely had a shot at shooting 59. He made a bogey down the stretch and then missed a birdie putt on 18, so it was right there. Yeah, it was just one of those golf courses where it, it really, you know, it was actually a perfect scenario because it was an opening event. The guys hadn't played that much uh competitively during the winter, even though my guys did. They all went down and played a number of tournaments down in Florida. But, um yeah, and it just, um you know, I think he beat, I, I forget the final results. I think we were 40, 45 under par. And uh, it was one of those golf courses where, uh I, I had a bunch of bangers on that team between, uh, and Keegan Bradley was long, but I'll tell you what, you run into George Zolotis. George Zolotis was just as long as him. And another kid on that team that's turned out to be one of the really cool club professionals right now in the section was a kid named Mike Ballow. And he was on the team too. And between those three guys, they were all six, three. And that was the start of just absolutely, uh, having a team of guys that just hit the ball out of sight. You know, and it was just kind of cool watching them. And uh, that was it. You know, that was even before technology had really, really kicked in. You know, so. Frank, speaking of Keegan, he's a good New England boy from Vermont. Big Red Sox fan. How in the world did you get him to come to St. John? Well, you know, it was all part of. Uh, um, so when I took over the, you know, when I took over the St. John's job, uh, I didn't really have any down teams. Uh, I had a couple of real good players right off the bat and I got lucky where, um, I, you know, I would recruit all the really good players. You know, we always lost the best two players to down South, you know, like we lost Tom Patrick to, uh, uh, Patrick went down to Florida Southern. And then I lost, um, uh, Andrew Swoboda who ended up going to NC state and played with Carl Peterson down there in practice rounds. Uh, Richard Sykes, who's just a great friend of mine. Um, uh, decided to redshirt him. So he didn't play him in his freshman year. And Sabota is, uh, sitting down there 
uh, NC State didn't have their golf course yet, and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't get on Wingfoot. I mean, you know, Wingfoot was his home golf course, so uh, uh, he didn't have a lot of fun down there. And then he just called me up and said, hey, uh, you know, you told me uh, you had something for me. I said, I got a full ride. Come on back. And, you know, uh, he played great for me. And when Keegan was looking, um, you know, Dave Adamanis, uh, well, both senior and junior were involved. And, um, you know, uh, Dave gave me a call one day and said, hey, John Curran just signed with uh, Vanderbilt. And do you have any interest in this? Uh, I've got somebody named, last name is Bradley, Keegan Bradley. I'm like, Keegan Bradley. I said, hang on a second. So, uh, you know, I called him about 20 minutes later as I was already heading to Boston to go meet him. And I'm like, yeah, I want the kid, you know, and, uh, you know, that's how it came about because uh, we did a good job in developing uh, Andrew Sabota into a great player. And Keegan uh, kind of liked that. Did you keep in contact with Keegan as obviously he goes to the PGA Tour and his career blossoms? He's a you know, wins the PGA Championship, gets on a couple of Ryder Cup teams, wins a bunch of tournaments. Have you guys kept in touch over the years? Yeah, oh yeah, we keep in touch. I'm I'm constantly trying to get him on my show. I get him occasionally. He's uh, you know, he's very very busy with the family and playing a lot. And uh, but yeah, we we kind of um kind of text back and forth. But uh, you know, he's in a he's in another stratosphere out there. And uh, you know, I haven't uh, uh you know. I don't really want to bother him too much, but, uh, you know, he's always been great and always says a lot of great things about uh, his time at St. John's. Did you get an opportunity to talk to him about his Ryder Cup experiences? Because he and Phil Mickelson were a heck of a duo back in 2012 and 2014. They were 3-0 and when they were paired together in 12 and 1-1 and in 14, uh, even though we lost both of those Ryder Cups. But did he talk to you at all about what that experience was like for him? Yeah, yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, he was kind of a little upset that they didn't win that match. And, uh, you know, and, um, you know, we always heard the stories of the bag still sitting there that he never right. opened. And, uh, you know, uh, hey, I, I, I'm never, I'm, I haven't been a fan of the Chicago police ever since they gave McElroy that escort in there, uh, <laughs> at Medina. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, hey, listen, I, I, you know, I mean, Keegan went through the journey. You know, he's, you know, it's not like he struggled. Uh, you know, uh, I helped him. We, we had a golf course here called Wheatley Hills that just loved Keegan Bradley. And, and to this day, he keeps telling everybody that's the first place he ever worked. Well, unfortunately, if you asked him right now, is the bag room to the right of the golf shop entrance or to the left? He probably couldn't tell you that because, um, he, he went on the first hole one day with this Dr. Murano. Um, uh, a uh, really good guy who ended up being his sponsors. And I think he heard he drove it on the green. It was like 370, 365. And uh, he never worked a day again the rest of his life. So uh, um, so that was a, a real good uh, start for Keegan. And, uh, you know, and, and he went through the whole process. He went through, you know, uh, being low on money. And then he, uh, you know, got on, the, what would it have been, the Nike tour? But I, I, what was it back then um, before? corn ferry um but you know, went, and yeah went through the process and got his card it was out he was out there with andrew sabota as well and you know both people don't realize that both him and andrew sabota were on the um uh tour together for a couple of years and uh swoboda was like he made the fedex cup uh playoffs two or three times or at least two times and uh i had both uh keegan and uh 
and Andrew at uh, Ridgewood for the FedEx Championship. So uh, it was kind of cool having two guys out there on tour. Were you surprised Keegan didn't get picked this year? Yeah, I was. I was kind of really surprised, uh, you know. And hey, listen, everybody, uh, everybody's you know talking about different things. Um, I think hopefully uh, the, the we've learned a little bit of a lesson. Maybe it's uh, time to kind of you know. I know we had that PGA Ryder Cup committee what ten, twelve years ago. It's time to get a piece of paper out and start again. I think, and uh, uh, I think Keegan and um, uh, you know Keegan would have been a great. Uh, you know, would have been a great addition to that team. And hey, I texted him last week and said, "Hey, listen, all you can do is get ready for Beth Page." You know, he's he's played Beth Page a hundred times. We always used to get him out there. And um, listen, I think Keegan is going to be one of these guys that uh, somewhere down the line, I'd like to play for him as a captain because uh, you know just his fieriness and how much uh, you know he's prepared and the, the experience he's gone through with um, you know just with the with the putters and different things. So uh, he's somebody I'd, uh, you know, if Keegan and he will keep playing well, uh, I could actually see him possibly even being like a vice captain at the next, uh, at Beth page. Why not? You know, since we lost this time, now we've lost eight of the last 11 of these Ryder cups. What do you think makes team Europe so much better at this than we are? You know, I think that, uh, I, I think there's a little bit of a different kind of spirit there. I mean, we've got, you know, 12 man teams from Europe. I think there were eight or nine guys from different comp, uh, countries. You know, I think it's just a different kind of passion. I mean, I think they're playing for themselves. They're playing for their country. They're playing for Europe as well. Um, and I think they're getting wrapped up in that. And, uh, in the, in, in the USA team, you know, they're mostly playing for the red, white and blue. Uh, of course, they're playing for themselves, but, uh, you know, it's all about the team and, and, and the United States of America, I, I just think there's a little bit of a different level of intensity there. I mean, just look at what like Luke Donald did. Look at all these captains. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I was kind of disappointed in a way that we didn't see what, um, Zach Johnson did behind the scenes in their team room or just, you know, he, uh, Luke Donald gave us such a great tour. I mean, boy, who wouldn't want to play for that, you know, between, you know, the, and then I think that the Seve scenario kind of helps them too. They're playing for Seve as well. And I think, uh, you know, they're constantly reminded of that. And, uh, you know, and hey, listen, I, I think they've got some phenomenal coaches over there too. I mean, hey, listen, look at McGinley and look at, uh, you know, just look at, at the job Donald's done. And, and, you know, I think the scary part about it, uh, right now with the Europeans, uh, look at look at the captains that are going to be coming up soon. I mean, you got Justin Rose is going to become one. Uh, McDowell will be one. So will uh, Tommy Fleetwood. They they all want to be one. They've all publicly said that. I think that they're kind of set up for the next, you know, maybe two, three, or four uh, uh, Ryder Cups. Where I don't know where are we going. Uh, let's hope Tiger might be interested in Beth Page because. Uh, we need Tiger for, you know, maybe one or two times just to set us back up. You mentioned Seve, and it's interesting that you do because Tom Patry said the exact same thing, that the ghost of Seve looms very prominent for the European team. Why do you think it is? Why why do they play so hard for the memory of Seve? Oh, because I think when Seve came in, uh, 
He was a swashbuckling kind of guy. Americans were constantly, you know, beating up on the Europeans. And I think he united them. I was just reading an article a couple of minutes ago about, I didn't realize it, that Seve didn't play one of the Ryder Cups because he wanted money. They weren't going to pay him. So he sat it out. He wasn't in the top 10. So they said, all right, uh, why don't you sit this one out as well? And I think that just fired him up even more. And then the legend of, uh, of Seve. I don't think we have, um, a legendary, uh, Ryder Cup, uh, captain that, uh, or, you know, ex player that, uh, that we can relate to. I mean, of course we've got Nicholas and, and Palmer and, you know, one of uh, the guys that we talk with all the time on our radio show, Dave Moore, uh, a great guy. Dave Moore is constantly talking about, uh, his dad's, you know, captaincy there as well. You know, it was, uh, hey, no picks. Here's the guys and let's go. You know, so, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's kind of cool. I think we need some sort of, um, you know, kind of idol layer to maybe motivate us. You mentioned the idea of getting paid and you mentioned that with Seve. That came up, whether that was for with Patrick Cantley or, or Xander Schauffele. We, we've heard his father talk about uh, the Ryder Cup and the PGA of America benefiting from their likeness, sort of like an NIL deal. Do they need to get paid for for the use of their likeness. What did you make of that whole situation? Yeah, I don't think it should have come up uh, during the Ryder Cup. And, hey, listen, I think the Europeans uh, uh, said the right things. And, uh, you know, I mean, hey, listen, they definitely had a couple of reporters kind of speculating on some stuff. But I like somebody had a quote and said something like, hey, the Europeans would pay to play on this team against the Americans. (laughs) Uh, as opposed to, you know, the Americans looking to make uh, some pay. You know, I don't know really where I stand right now on that uh, that whole scenario. I mean, things have changed with the Olympics as well now, too. You know, they're getting uh, all of these athletes are making money. But, you know, they are making, you know, some money in their pensions. They are making $200,000 for their foundations as well. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, if, if you're, don't want to just kind of stay with the history and the traditions. Pull yourself out of the uh, Ryder Cup uh, selection committee. Frank, we're coming up on the eight-year anniversary of your show on course. Does it seem like eight years? And how did that opportunity uh, first come about for you? Oh, I tell Brian, uh, Brian Crowell all the time, feels like 15. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, uh, well, you know, they were looking for uh, to kind of uh, they had revamped a lot of things at Sirius and they were looking to get into the college end of it. So, uh, they approached myself and, uh, Conrad Ray on the West Coast. So, uh, Conrad stayed with the college end of it. You know, I mean, not, we did a couple of, uh, shows. Uh, I did a couple of shows by myself and I thought it was fine. And I had one of my ex players with me, but I, I thought that, uh, uh, college, college golf kind of, you know, there wasn't really a lot going on during those winter months. So uh, I knew Brian Crow was around. I had just happened to be on one of his shows. Uh, uh, he had a show, uh, based out of Westchester and I've known Brian forever. So we did a demo together and all of a sudden it was like, you know, they said, all right, you guys are on next week. Uh, we're going to go with what you want. So, you know, we talked a little college golf, but hey, it's so great being able to, you know, not just kind of be stuck with college golf and we bring a lot of coaches on and players as well and uh it was just great being um you know having a little bit of variety and uh you know and we've had a lot of fun on the show and uh you know we keep um 
like I said, it's it's fun being in the Met section here and and dealing with uh, you know Sirius is just a a, a great company to work with. You mentioned that uh, you have a lot of fun on the show, and it's a lot of fun listening to you two guys. You have a wonderful rapport. How did you guys develop that sort of on-radio rapport that you have with one another? Well, like I tell Cole all the time, I mean, I just don't like it. It's really easy to do it. <laughs> and then and if you listen to it, I mean, he takes it. I, I used to always take a shot every chance I get. He takes a shot every single chance he gets at me. So, uh, you know, so we go back and forth and, you know, we, and again, it has a lot to do with the guests we have on too, because we try to make them as, and, and like you do too, you, you know it better than anybody. You just try to make everybody at, at ease and, and have some fun and, you know, uh, ask some different questions. I mean, you know, who was one of our first guests on, uh, and, and we talk about this occasionally. We brought on Cindy Morgan, who was Lacey Underwalls. Yes. Yeah. She was like on one of our first shows. I mean, this is a long time ago and, you know, and, and, uh, we had a blast with that. And that just got us kind of going, uh, you know, all right, let's just keep having fun. And, and that's what it's all about. As you know, I get to partner with Brian Katrick on a local golf show yes. here in Atlanta. And I know you guys have known each other for years. Talk about your relationship with Brian. I can't bring him on because he's constantly calling me Walmart. I don't even know where that came <laughs> from, you know, but, uh, you know, every once in a while, uh, you know, uh, they'll kind of wheel me in to do something with, uh, you know, maybe the Paulsons uh, and listen, Dennis and Carl are great. And then, you know, McGinnis and Kedrick are good. And, you know, so, uh, when we get them on, I mean, uh, Kedrick comes after us more than anything. I mean, it, it, he's, he's a riot and just, uh, you know, very knowledgeable. And, you know, we always give him some heat about, you know, being an Emmy award winner and this and that, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, but yeah, hey, listen, uh, we love having him on, but, you know, he plays in too many golf tournaments and we can't get him on on Sunday mornings. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Frank, before I let you go, let our listeners know again, how can they listen to your fantastic show and also follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, so we're uh, on course. We're on uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, uh, PGA Tour Radio Channel 92. Um, and then uh, you can catch us. Uh, you can catch me on. I'm on. I'm F Dobbs on uh, Twitter and, uh, you know, all the social media type stuff. And uh, like I said, we just um, we're having a blast. And uh, it's kind of cool just how hot golf is right now and just. Uh, what the outlook looks like here for the next, you know, three or four years. It's just, uh, you know, kind of out of control right now in a good way. Frank, it's been a huge thrill getting to spend some time with you. You're one of the all-time greats. I hope I get this privilege of having you back on the show again sometime soon. Hey, anytime, and we got to have you on our show as well. I appreciate that. Well, Frank, take you. care, my friend. All the best to you and the family. I look forward to having you back on the show again soon. All right. I hope the dog's feeling better. Thank you. I appreciate you very much. All right, Take Chris. care, Frank. Thanks for having me. You bet. See ya. See ya. That is the great Frank Darby, folks. They just don't come better than Frank. He does, his show is so much fun. He and Brian are a great duo. They make that uh, that time on Sunday morning so much fun to listen to. I can't get enough of that. You know, It's an enjoyable ride home for me because I get to listen to the two of them. So, be sure to check out their show again. It's called Encore, Sirius XM, PGA Tour Radio, Channel 92, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. Give him a follow on social media, at FDarbs. Uh, 
just one of the all-time legends that we get to have in this game and that I'm very privileged to have as part of this show. I hope tonight was the first of many visits with Frank. I'll try to get him back on with us again soon. Okay, coming up next is going to be another one of the great instructors in our game and a Plain Truth Level 3 instructor, and that is Andy Trainer. Before I get to Andy, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R dot com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course. So make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scone.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. Okay, now back in making his fifth appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is one of the top instructors in our game, Andy Trainer. Andy is a trackman, master professional, and lead golf instructor at the Plain Truth Golf Academy located at the courses at Waters Creek in Plano, Texas. He spent several years as a teaching professional and head golf pro over in England at clubs like Chestnut Park Golf Course and the Chingford Golf Course just outside of London. He's coached junior players to district, regional, and North Texas PGA victories. He's also had his college players bring home several championship trophies. He's consulted alongside Chris O'Connell, who teaches players like Matt Kuchar, Hunter Mahan, Gavin Green, and Ted Purdy. Andy is just tremendous. He's been a fantastic guest on this show over the years, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Andy, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. Andy, it's been a little while since I got to have you as part of the show. Catch us up. What's been going on with you? Same old, same old, Chris. You know, just trying to make people better one ball at a time. Um, thoroughly enjoying what I do over here in Dallas. Um, been over here now. This is my eighth year in Dallas, uh, working alongside uh, Chris O'Connell. Um, and uh, just just really loving life over here in Dallas, uh, all over in the States. Andy, I'm guessing you were pretty happy about the way things turned out at the Ryder Cup. Give us your assessment of what you saw. Well, it's funny. My, growing up in England, my, my dad was Irish and he moved to England. And, and I remember back watching the, the, back in the day when I was a boy, they would have the home international soccer, like football. And 
And I remember someone saying to him, I suppose there was Ireland were playing England. I su- someone said, I suppose you're supporting Ireland. And he said, no, he said, I'm supporting England. He said, I live in England. I support the country where I live in. And I've always been of that belief since I came to the States. I, I'm, I consider myself, I mean, if I would support Europe, playing against the country where I live, the country where I pay my taxes, the people that give me their hard-earned money to coach them, then I would be somewhat of a hypocrite. Um, I can't pull against the, the United States um, because this is where I live. So I mean, I, I, I've supported the United States in Ryder Cups ever since I came here. Now, if the United States were playing West Ham, United, my soccer team, that would be another matter. <laughs> Andy, the European team has now won eight of the last 11 Ryder Cups. There's got to be a reason why they are so much better at this than we are. What's your assessment? Why is Europe so much better at winning a Ryder Cup than the U.S. team is? It's The Ryder Cup is a different tournament in terms of uh, who goes to watch the Ryder Cup to, say, for instance, the British Open. The The Ryder Cup is is more... And I'm going to say football, but everybody can in the state can say soccer. Um, but the culture in in England, in in Europe, is very much um, the crowd, and the crowd sing sing songs about their players, etc. And I think that that's something that that the U.S. team has never bought into. They don't understand that culture. It took me a long time. I mean, I've been here eight years now, and it took me a long time to understand the difference in the cultures. Um, and and for me, I don't think that that the captains of the, U, the U.S. captain Ryder Cup, when they go over there, do anything wrong, but they do not get the crowd on their side. The the songs that, that football team, uh, that football fans sing, are, they're witty. They're, they don't mention necessarily their team, but you know it's their team. Um, and and I think that the ole ole chant, well, that's not about anything, but that's been adopted as as the European national anthem. It's not saying Europe. And I think that's <laughs> just going to sound strange, but if if the US came up with some football type chants, that would get the the crowd much more on their side. You, you know, you're either going to get the crowd on your side because you play great golf. And, and eventually you wear them down or you just get them on your side to start with. And, uh, it's funny, <laughs> you know, it, that may sound strange to, unless you're in the, in, in that type of environment, but anyone who, who, who watches football in the, in the UK will understand that they sing songs about each player. They sing songs about each team. And it's like, tell me you support this team without telling me you support this team. And just the USA, USA chant tells me, yeah, I know where you're from. It's not funny. So we need to come up, we need to come up with a different chant for the USA for the Ryder Cup. It's interesting that you say that because I heard a story about uh, groups of people getting together and putting together a song for Tommy Fleetwood and rehearsing it before the Ryder Cup. And then obviously we heard it during the Ryder Cup event. It's interesting to me that that's what they do in order to endear themselves and to get everybody sort of rallied together. If my my soccer team, I go on there, the the fan the the uh the fan uh 
website, and it's got a uh, just a, a one thing about what's the best chance over the years, and that's and it's got literally hundreds of them, and and they're very topical. Can't make one up for each player. It's got to be topical, and, it, and it's you know it's a it's a skill, um, and I think if the US bought into that. They would get the crowd on their side and you'd find that, you know, it's like, a, you know, there was a, some of them were singing, we're on the left side of the tee and the other side was singing, we're on the right side of the tee. Well, that's not about anything, but it's engaging the crowd. And so, you know, if you do that, you'll find that the crowd will start to buy into your song. So is that what it is, Andy? It's the interaction between the fans and the players and the chance and all of that sort of thing that kind of gets the players to rise to another level that's above what the USA team is doing. It's not the X's and the O's. It's not the pairings of guys together. It's none of that stuff. It's really what the fans and the players on the European side are able to rise to together that makes them so much better than we are. I think that the USA... Uh, is viewed as as the greatest country in the world, and I think that, that's everybody. Everybody likes to beat the the big dog, um, and so there's there's some of that to it. Um, and I think that I don't think that I think that US is totally a team, totally. I don't see any of that when you know um, that the US team isn't. Uh, it, it's divided. It's this. It's that. But it's, it's understanding how to, to, to play the media and, and that type of stuff so that um, that doesn't get out. The media, in, in, especially in, in England, uh, can really uh, get under people's skins. Um, and, it, and it's understanding that. And there's no way that the, the, English, the, the, uh, the European team is any more, um, in my opinion, any more um, a team than, than the U.S., I don't. I, don't I, I can only speak from what what I see, because I've never been in those those team rooms. But I I, I don't see the, the I don't see that. Um, I just think that you have to you play the home games and away games differently, um, and and you have to understand the culture over there. Andy, let's switch gears. And I saw you reposted on Twitter the announcement from earlier this summer that Andrea Pavin won the Real Check Challenge. He played his college golf at Texas A&M. Did you get to work or get to know him when he was there at A&M? Yeah, we started working with uh, Andrea probably about this time last year. Um, and Andrea plays his golf in Europe, but strangely enough, he lives here in in uh, in North Texas, uh, in Lucas in, in Texas. And uh, he'd been having some struggles, and so he... Uh, he got in touch with Chris, and um, we've been doing some good work with him. And it, he's done great. He, he's a, a really good guy. Um, he's won. He lost his card on the DP World Tour, and he so he played the Challenge Tour. He's obviously won down, if you like, from the DP World Tour. He's won once out this year. He's had some uh, some very very good finishes. He's he's doing great. I expect him to do really well next year. Andy, as I mentioned in your intro. You're a level three Plain Truth certified instructor. Remind everybody what the Plain Truth teaching process is all about. Well, Plain Truth is basically about getting people to hit the ball better, understanding their misses and understanding how to correct those misses. Um, Jim Hardy um, 
wrote the plain truth for golfers or was back in 2006 and and i think that as successful as that what was i think sometimes people took the the wrong message from that in in that i think that we wanted everybody to to have what we feel like a golf swing that was a rounded golf swing and and we're not that way at all we want we want everybody regardless of whether they're a an upright swinger a rounded swinger a they've got one arm they've got two arms i mean whatever it is we want someone to understand how they're applying force to the golf ball what that's causing the ball to do and then how to fix that and i think that too often in this game most people um don't understand what how they're applying force to a golf ball and so therefore they they look at positions uh, they look at things like grip, stance, and posture, um, rather than okay, how is this? How am I applying force to this ball to cause this ball to do what it's doing? Um, and too many times people don't know that, or they misdiagnose that, and therefore they go down avenues where they're just getting into deeper holes. How do you marry up all the new data that we have available to us with TrackMan and Body Track and how do you get a complete picture and focus your students on the things that they need to do with all of that data and marry that with what you're seeing? Do you look at that sort of data or are you really focused on ball flight? Well, certain pieces of technology are great for certain things. I mean, I think that launch monitors are great for looking at um, what what the ball is doing in terms of what how it's spinning, etc. Rather than necessarily uh what my what's my face is it two degrees this or is it one degree that or is this you know you, you there are many ways that you can apply force to a golf ball um and and i think that with, with all due respect to most of the the technology out there and and, and i'm a been a, a big user of technology i think that technology is only as good as someone who's programming that technology the the technology if you like doesn't have its own brain it has the brain of the person or the people that have um, built that technology, um, and and sometimes I mean, techno- there's always uh, everything's moving forwards all the time, and and I think that sometimes um, the the interpretation of what's happening and the interpretation of the data that that technology is um, providing is somewhat. Uh, misunderstood uh many times andy i want to get some playing lessons from you tonight and we talk an awful lot about the short game on this show if we're 100 yards out how should we go about deciding on club selection what should our process be before we decide which club to pull what should we go through to decide that we're going to pull the right one andy one of the things that i've changed about my approach i'm a 13 handicap and flag hunting is something that I have figured out that I have no business doing. I'm playing for the middle of the green. If I push it a little to the right, I'm still going to be on the green. If I tug it a little left, I'm still going to be on the green. If I thin it a little bit, I'm probably still on the green. And if I hit a little fat, still on the green. I've mm-hmm. changed that philosophy because I'm not a, you know, I'm not going to go out there and break 80 every time I go play. Talk about the philosophy that players in, in my kind of range, should we be flag hunting anyway? Should we, should we, we be trying to hit it as close to the hole always? 
Or is it a better strategy to help us save some strokes by playing more towards the middle of the green each time? Generally, golf is a, is a game of misses. And the person who misses the best will, will most likely do okay. Um, and so you're, I mean, I, I totally agree with your strategy there. You know, hit it in the place which gives you the most room to air um, and still be okay. I mean, I think that um, everybody watches obviously golf on TV and they see players firing at the flags, etc. But you've got to understand that TV is TV and, it, and it's trying to sell the best shots. <laughs> they don't show the ones that fly off into the trees and stuff like that. Now, that's all going on out there all the time. Um, but that, 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 that doesn't really make it good, good TV. So you, you tend to see the good shots. Obviously, you see the players who are doing well that week at the end of the tournament. Um, and, you know, you're seeing all their best shots. People miss greens with wedges on a, on a pretty regular basis. Um, and so try to stick it in the middle of the green. Don't chase flags. Don't, don't try to play career shots because they are career shots. They only come off once in a career. Um, <laughs> make, make sure you're, you're giving yourself the best chance to get it around that golf course in the lowest score and, your your bad scores hurt you much more than your good scores gain you. Andy, as we get closer to the green, maybe we're going to try to hit a little pitch shot because we've got a bunker that we need to fly it over, or maybe there's a little pond, something like that. A lot of times we get handsy in there. We try to scoop it. We're, we're trying to help the ball up in the air. What's a What's the right way to try to hit a little pitch shot when we've got to fly it over some sort of obstacle to get it on the green? Well, there's nothing wrong with being handsy, but you've just got to understand how to, to do that, do that in a way which, uh, allows you to hit a shot. See, for ball to get in the air, you need to hit below the equator. And if I, if some people will hit shots and they, and they blade it and someone says, Oh, you scooped at that. Well, they scooped at that and then into our golf swing. So by the time the golf clubs get into the ball, the bottom edge of the golf club is coming up. And so, therefore, it's hitting in the middle of the ball. Whereas if that person was swinging the club, if you like, instead of swinging it away from them, they were swinging it side to side, it can be as handsy as you like. I mean, if you want to get the ball eye high in the air, you need to put loft on the golf club. And you need that loft on the golf club needs to hit below the equator. Um, the more loft there is, the more potential there is to hit below the equator. The more you swing a club to the right, the more the club is swinging the more you swing it, if you like, the more you swing the handle to the left, the more it's swinging down. And so there's a happy medium in there between not swinging the head to the right and not swinging the handle to the left. Um, that golf club is what the club head is swinging. And that club head is swinging, it's going to swing to the right of you, it's going to swing back to the middle of you, connect the ball below the equator, and then swing back up to the left of you. Andy, one more before I let you go, and I, I, let's get on the green now and talk some putting. One of the places that I struggle with is reading putts. There are going to be times throughout the round where I'll completely misread it. Boy, I thought that ball was going to break right, and the next thing you know, it's breaking to the left. What steps do you teach your students to go through in order to properly read the green? I'm a big fan of, of reading greens with your feet. Um, I'm also a big fan of understanding uh, especially down here in, in, in the south, the, on the Bermuda, the, the grain. 
But also, people don't practice reading greens. People, it, it's a, it's a learned skill. Uh, Chris O'Connell, I work with. I mean, that's uh, one of his sayings. Green green reading is is a learned skill. Everyone can learn to read a green, but people don't try to learn to read greens. Um, taking balls out, um, rolling balls along the ground, and, and okay, you, you're testing your your reading of the green rather than if you putt. Now you're testing your some of your your putting skills, if you like. You're, are you delivering the club on your uh, aim, or are you misreading the green? Well, if you take one of those out, now you're testing your reading skills. Um, and obviously, with with putting, you don't green a, a green read has has got some of the the uh, side to side, but it's also about the speed. A ball rolling at faster speed is not going to break as much as a ball rolling at a, a slower speed. Um, and you know. Too many times someone will say, oh, I misread it or what well, this may, may have been a great read, but they hit it on the wrong speed. So it's understanding that speed and, and read go, go hand in hand. But you need to practice that skill. So how do you do that? How do you practice the skill of trying to figure out which way this putt is going to break? Go out there, roll balls on, on the green. There's a, there's a, I'm trying to think there's a, a great it's called perfect putt and it's like a, i guess it's like when you go to uh 10 pin bowling and and the kids use that that little ramp to to roll it down well that's really like that for for golf and you can just roll that ball down there that's the only way really you can test your read in in my opinion because when you putt the ball yourself that you're now testing also your your stroke and so is it the read or is it your stroke well if you want to test if you want to get good at green reading go test green reading don't test your stroke that's something that's a different skill andy before i let you go let our listeners know about the courses that you have there at waters creek uh yeah waters creek is a is a great city facility um there's a an 18 hole golf course uh, a nine hole um executive course a six hole uh path three golf course it's got a Great driving range, great short game area, a couple of putting greens there. Um, City do a great job in, in of Allen of here of keeping that golf course uh, uh, available for the, the for the residents of the area. Andy, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the things you're doing, whether they're following you online or it's on social media? Uh, yeah, we're on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram, um, PlainTruthGolfDallas.com. Um, our website again, uh, sorry, is Plain Truth Golf Dallas. Where, um, every, if, if someone taps in Plain Truth Golf Dallas, they're going to be able to, uh, to find us. Andy, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show again tonight. It's always a good time getting to spend some time with you. Chris, thanks for your time. Uh, keep well. Hope we listen as well. I appreciate it. Take care, Andy. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. That is Andy Trainer. T-R-A-Y-N-O-R is the spelling of his last name. Plain Truth Golf Dallas, like he says, is how you can locate all the things that they're doing. At Trainer Andy is where you can find him on Twitter as well. Plain Truth Golf is uh, is an amazing thing. It is certainly a different way to look at how we are taught the game of golf and the swing. And Andy is just one of the wonderful people that uh, you get to meet doing a show like this. 
He's been a great friend since the early in the early days of doing this show, and uh, hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with him again soon. Coming up next is one of my all-time favorite people on the planet, one of our very best instructors in the game, and the host of the best golf variety show ever, The Golf Kingdom, and that's Rob Strano. Before I get to Rob, I want to remind you about our friends over at Squares Golf. And folks, do you sway in your off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried Squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Now back in making his 18th appearance with me here on Next on the Tee is one of the all-time great instructors in our game and one of just the all-time great people in our game, and that is Rob Strano. Rob is also the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show. You can watch that on Amazon Fire TV, Blab TV, Roku, and Rob's YouTube channel. Rob has his Strano Golf Academy at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida. And as I spread my gratitude for this week's announcement that the show won gold for best sports podcast episodes and specials, when you win an award like that, and you've had a guy on 17 times prior to tonight, he is a big reason why people listen to this show and the show gets recognized. Like I say, he is a great friend and one of my all-time favorite paisans, and I couldn't be more honored that I get to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Rob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, great to be with you again. 18 times, I think I'm walking up to the 18th green, and I should tip my cap to the crowd, but I tip it to you, my Italian buddy, for having me on and getting me to share so much fun time with you here on the show. I appreciate you very much, Rob. We got to start by getting your take on the Ryder Cup. We were texting back and forth about it. I, I think you've got some unique takes then on what happened to our U.S. team. Where where did you think things went wrong? Oh, it, it's easy. I think I, I've i not, not heard anybody in analysis thank this one person for totally screwing up the Ryder Cup this year. Ooh. And that one person that we should thank for totally trashing the Ryder Cup is Greg Norman. Thank you, Greg, for trashing the Ryder Cup because we did not have the best American team. We did not have the American team that was at Whistling Straits over in Rome playing thanks to Live Golf. So all the guys, Dustin Johnson, DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, that were, you know, mainstays of the U.S. team, they weren't, you know, able to play because they, you know, didn't meet the qualification criteria. They weren't playing well enough to get a captain's pick from Zach Johnson, unlike Brooks Kepka. But once again, they didn't play enough, period. So therefore, they, they weren't choices, and they took themselves out of consideration by 
you know, doing Greg Norman's bidding and going to Live Golf. So when you look at it, it started right away when Liv, you know, took all the players away from the Ryder Cup. We weren't sending our best American players there. So, Rob, if it was Captain Strano and you had the opportunity to pick whoever you wanted to be on this team, one of the things, to your earlier point that I've been saying to people, I would have wanted to run it back, run back the team that we had two years ago. Until until that team gets beat, I would have kept running those same 12 guys out there. I don't care how they're playing. I would have just keep kept that team together, keep the band together. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Oh, I don't disagree with that. That team, you know, absolutely kicked butt and took names at Whistling Straits. And, and that was, you know, when you think about how great we felt about the Ryder Cup coming out of Straits and how bad we feel about it now and all, all the just clutter and nonsense coming out of Rome, it's just like, you know, it makes my head hurt that the game of golf is so lost right now. And I just don't see it getting better. So I want to get into the a little bit of the nonsense because it. To your point, I don't know where we go from here. I mean, I I think there were we can all Monday morning quarterback what happened and some of the things that that Zach Johnson did, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But there's this the other nonsense that we we heard about, and we're starting to hear a little bit more about it in the day since. The, you know, the idea that the guy, a couple of the guys wanted to get paid and, and, and Hatgate and you know, Patrick Cantlay was the, the, could you, could you really have had a hat that didn't fit Patrick Cantlay? It's not like they just decided on who these 12 guys were going to be last week. I find, I find it hard to imagine that in all of the fittings with the pants and the shirts yes. and all that stuff yes. that they couldn't yes. have found a hat. Do you or know made how they a hat. Do, you know how they do that? Oh, they, they all are measured. They are fitted. For, they, they don't go, what size shirt are you? I'm a medium. What size pants do you wear? I'm 32, 32. And they just put that together. These guys are all, everything they wear is tailored. They are measured for the hats. They are measured for the shirts. They are measured for the pants. They're measured for rain gear. They try the shoes on. Everything is measured. So to say the hat doesn't fit, I'm going to say it this way is an outright lie. That is a lie to say, oh, the hat didn't fit. No, you're measured for it. The hat fits. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, look, if Patrick Cantley, and we've seen Patrick Cantley not wear hats in other tournaments, if Patrick didn't want to wear a hat because it, uh, it's not comfortable, I don't usually wear a hat, I don't like to wear it, whatever. Okay, just say that. But yes. the idea that it, they didn't have one that it, to that me, fit. is what ludicrous. Yeah. What? immature nonsense that is for him to say that it's just that that drives me crazy and then you got you know xander shoffley's dad out there running his mouth if i'm xander shoffley i tell my dad dad be a dad i don't need you spouting off to the media that's not your job sit back i'm the player you be my dad that's it shut up and color that 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 was my dad Oh my gosh, I, I would have absolutely gone volcanic. <laughs> and to that end, right now, the, the players want to get paid. Uh, you know, I I don't know if that's if that's true or not. I get the idea that they're using their likeness, and we we have NIL deals now in college football. So should they be paid for their name, image, and likeness? I, I don't know. I mean, well, look, the, my my thought, Rob, is 
you know, they, they get $200,000 a piece for the charity of their choice. It's not like these guys are paying, paying for their plane tickets, their meals, their clothes, neither are their wives. They get to go over there. And then from the profits from the Ryder Cup and the PGA, uh, PGA championship, because this again is a PGA of America event, not a PGA tour event. So the profits go into a lot of these guys' retirements. It's not, it, beyond just the 12, it goes to the other players, 150, 200 of them. So they're getting something for it. It's not like they're getting nothing. And then on top of that, you're playing for your country, which to me, it should mean a lot. I, I'm struggling with the whole idea. We need to get paid on top of that. Well, exactly. So let, let's look at it this way. All that, as you said, is, is perfectly spoken. If I if I were to miraculously qualify for the next Ryder Cup by the hand of God, all of a sudden my game came back better than ever, and I qualified for the Ryder Cup. What is qualifying for the Ryder Cup worth to me as a player from a marketing standpoint? What can my agent do with that? So to say they're not making money, oh my gosh! If 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 their agent isn't marketing them as Ryder Cup players, and hey. Your, your daily corporate fee just went up because you qualified for the Ryder Cup, then you got to fire your agent. So it, they parlay it on the marketing side of it. Are they getting paid up front? No. But once again, when you come off as saying, I need to be paid to play for my country and represent my country, do you hear what you sound like when you say that? Do, do you actually hear that? Go to a country club where these guys are playing their little Nassau's and walk up and go, hey, I'm Patrick Cantley. I'm Xander Stoffley. I just played in the Ryder Cup, and I deserve to be paid a lot of money for it. They're going to look at you like you got worms crawling out of your ears. (laughs) So, Rob, we've now lost eight of the last 11 of these things, as I've asked all the guests tonight. Why do you think the European team is so much better at this than we are? Well, what's interesting is when you look at the data, it just drives me a little bit crazy. I don't know if you saw this, but in the 36 matches that played the first hole, the U.S. team only hit the fairway 16 times. Wow. Wow. So you wonder why we struggled early? We couldn't find the first fairway. Couldn't find it. And then there's a lot of talk about preparation and going over there and what have you. Here's the best analysis I've heard. And and this is why I believe we struggle over there. Golfers aren't used to playing in hostile environments. One of the guys that covered the event um, on the radio said 90% of the spectators were perfect. He said 10%, I will not repeat what I heard them say to players. And he said this, he said, if my wife was with me, and I was a player, she'd attend the gala the first night, and then I'd send her sightseeing until the gala at the closing ceremony, because I don't want to hear have her hear what they're yelling at me. I don't think we're very good at dealing with that. I don't think we're good about being in a hostile environment. I don't think we're, we're strong enough mentally to deal with that. Over there, it's a different mindset. They're a different cut of cloth, a little bit tougher a little harder around the edges. And I, I think that's the number one thing over there. When when the going gets tough, I don't think we're ready for the amount of fight we need 
at the beginning, nonetheless, you know, in the middle. And I laugh at everybody that says they almost rallied on Sunday, almost came down to those three matches. I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? The final score was 16 and a half, 11 and a half. It wasn't close. <laughs> it wasn't like that we were, you know, we were, we were winning those matches. No, it was a matter of, could we come through and rally in those matches? And no, we weren't going to. So speaking of hostile environments, and maybe they're a little bit tougher, we did hear an awful lot about the things that were yelled at uh, to the players and that sort of thing. Obviously, the Patrick Cantlay thing with the, you know, the, with the hats and the whole nine yards. And then Patrick Cantlay, there's a reason they call him Patty Ice. He comes through for us when it looked like all hope was lost and we had nothing to look forward to to get into the Sunday match. He gave us that one little ray of hope by going out and taking a match that they were losing one up and flipping it to winning one up by making birdies on 16, 17, and then jarred that 43 footer on 18. So there, there was a ray of hope and some gladness and some joy on some level for the U S team, but it got immediately tarnished by what happened on the green and the, the, the Joey LaCava situation and, and Rory McElroy and then, Obviously, Shane Lowry coming in and, and uh, getting his piece. And then it carried all the way out to the parking lot yep. that they continued to job back and forth. What impact, if any, do you think all of that had? Oh, I think it, it galvanized the European team even, even more. Here, here's my take on that. Once again, a little different take. Where, where, where was McElroy's caddy? Where, where was his caddy? You watch the videos. Caddy just stands there and like let Lacava do that. Caddies on tour are your guard dog. Nobody gets in your bubble. My players, when I'm out there with them, the caddy's job is to keep people away. If he and I are working, or she and I are working, the caddy's the the caddy's the bouncer. Where was McElroy's caddy? If I'm if I'm McElroy, and Lacava's out there, my caddy's my bouncer. I my my caddy had would have had every right to go grab him by the throat and pull him off the green and go get your butt over here get away from my player and 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 man up McElroy was the only one that seemed to be upset about it where was where was his caddy I mean holy smokes that's that blows me away that his caddy just stood there because my caddy had Byron Rob you're a great leader and a wonderful speaker Captain Strano was leading this team. How would you get 12 guys who, for the most of the time during the course of a golf season, those guys are independent contractors. How do you get those guys to come together as a team, get them to care about playing for the country and for each other, for which is essentially three days where we need to galvanize as a team? How does Captain Strano get that done? Well, you know, thank you for the kind words, but another thing I am is I'm the father of a quarterback. I'm a quarterback dad. My son was a quarterback. And you want to have thick skin? Sit in, sit in the crowd when everybody's dog cussing your son because he threw a pick. That's that's tough. I toughen the guys up. I don't think they're tough enough. I personally don't. I would, you know, I love the Ben Hogan speech when he was captain. His speech was, when we're done, my name better not be on there as losing captain. That's all. <laughs> that's all you know i think i mean zach johnson is a very nice man but he, he's he got no fire 
you've got to bring fire to this. You've got to bring fire to these guys. They got to want to go out there and and just from the moment the bell rings, be ready to to step on people's necks and snap them. And I just think we we walk into it. We, we worry about the wrong things of team chemistry as opposed to the 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 you know uh, uh, the warrior mentality. You know, I love the saying. A warrior would rather be defeated and die than to act against his character. I just think we're—I think we go out there. We're just soft. I get—I get—I really get after the guys. I mean, really, I question their toughness. I question their character. I'd really make them. I'd hurt Brooks them is what I do. Man, there you go, Rob. When I look at the the strategy that I perceive that Captain Johnson put into this thing and and setting up the foursomes and the four-ball formats and the teams that he put together, I felt like we were doomed right from the beginning because what I couldn't wrap my head around is there was all the controversy about Justin Thomas being a captain's pick. and He isn't informed this year. He's not as playing as well. He's not putting as well, but he picks him. Well, he and Jordan Speed together prior to this Ryder Cup were 8-2 and two as, a, as a duo. Not only does he not put them out there first because they have been in the leadoff position and these these events in the past. They were the first teams out there. Not only does he not do that, he doesn't play them at all in the morning. And then he puts Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns together. And again, I get those two guys are buddies as well. 0-2 and 1 in the President's Cup. Scotty Scheffler hasn't been putting well. And you put both of those guys out there in the leadoff spot. I couldn't understand the the strategy behind it. If you're going to pick JT, you put him with Jordan, you put him first, that's how that goes. No, you're going to put Scheffler and Burns out there together. And I thought that was a huge mistake from the get-go. Yeah, it was, there were, there were a few odd pairings and mixes. And, you know, and one thing, you know, I thought about this in singles. I, I was sitting, you know, at looking at the singles pairings and I asked myself a question about that. I went, of the first five guys playing singles for us, how many of them loved front nine how mm. many of them have played the front nine well because what i need for my first five guys on sunday and singles are guys that love the front nine because they got to get out there and they gotta they gotta light it up i can't put someone out there who goes yeah you know holes four seven eight nine but they give me some trouble you know i don't like i don't i don't like how those holes set up for me and and kind of the same way you know the pairings and the groupings they they get interesting. They get a little chummy sometimes. And, you know, the, the Ryder Cup is really pretty simple, Chris. It's it's like a basketball game. If you and I are playing two-on-two two against somebody, against Tom, against Tom and Andrew, Andy, let's say, since you had them on tonight, and you and I are going to play them, and we can't throw it in the bucket, guess what? We're going to get whooped. So you got to look at, you know, the team, whether it's the, the picks on the team or who your groupings are, you got to find guys that are rolling it good because if you don't have anybody rolling it good, it doesn't matter what their world ranking is. And we saw that it was irrelevant who the world number one was because the world number one got smoked. So I think, you know, we look at it sometimes from a cockeyed perspective. And, and I always laughed about, you know, the, the captain's choices since you brought that up about picking guys with experience. And did you know this? The vice captain. For the Ryder Cup team. So you had Furyk, Stricker, Love, Couple, Sink. Now they're the vice captains for this team. 
know what the combined Ryder Cup record is? No. All five of them? Oh. 34, 55, and 21. Wow. And those are my vice captains. Those are my those are my go-to guys for okay, how do we do this? What do we do? You know, you know, what do I need to do? I mean, really? Those are my vice captains? Mm. Good huh. point. Good point. Where's, where's Azinger as a vice captain? Right. That's the first guy I want. Yes. I want the guy, I want the guy who who, you know, was as tough as they were for an American guy. Hey, 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 Paul, are you available to head to Rome? Yeah, I'd love to have you come over as a vice captain. I mean, geez Louise. I, I once again, you know, we pick guys that have experience, but it's all bad experience. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Yes. So a, a couple of things I want to take that a little bit further. One of one of the things that also didn't make any sense to me, Rob, is uh, they talked about how some of the players were were not feeling well and uh, that they had passed it, you know, back and forth amongst each other. Brian Harmon. And again, none of the guys used that as an excuse. They all acknowledged the fact that the uh, European team played much better. But Brian Harmon acknowledged the fact that they, you know, this has been, you know, kind of an issue. Ricky Fowler had it the worst. I mean, Ricky was excused from some of the galas because he wasn't feeling well. If that if that's the case for me, and I you know I know I got to get Ricky out there on, in the singles on Sunday, but I'm going to try to give that guy as much time as he needs in order to feel better, so that he is you know, at least going to give his best effort, you know, for whatever his body's going to allow him to do. Well, then we run him out there the first in the first set of matches, and they get beat. And I think you know, for crying out loud, the guy couldn't go to the dinner the night before or the night before that but we're going to put them out there early. I mean, it's just some of these strategic things, Rob, to your point, and kind of at a higher level. I just, I don't understand the strategy that Zach Johnson had. And if you've got all of these vice captains, I can't imagine that they all sat in the team room and thought these were really good ideas. You talk about getting whacked. I mean, Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka, nine and seven, nine and seven, Rob. They got to the 11th hole because Scotty Scheffler, to your earlier point, couldn't put Brooks Kepka in a position to hit the next shot. He he let off with the drive on one. To your point, he hits it in the deep rough. Kepka's got no shot. Kepka hits it in the in the in the short grass on two. Scheffler puts it in the rough on his second shot. I mean, just some of these things don't make any sense to me. Like there wasn't a whole lot of strategy that was put into place based on the things that you saw. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, once again, spot on analysis, Chris. And and what's funny about about that is that that match, the Kepka Scheffler match. Do you know what they shot on the front nine? <laughs> Didn't add it up, but I saw there were a lot of bogeys and doubles. They shot forty-one. Wow, forty-one. Hard to do. I, you and I, would have a hard time shooting forty-one. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> right. I'm dead serious. I could I could coach you and go, Chris, hit it here. I mean, that's you know, you know, if if it's even bogeys, even bogeys is forty five, right? I mean, that's that's four hundred even bogeys. Good gracious! Uh, yeah, I, 
I don't understand that. And once again, going back to that, when I heard they were they had some bug going through the team, I went, what? That doesn't make, make sense. Every one of those players has a strength, conditioning, fitness, health coach. They've all got them. So leading up to the event, they weren't going, okay, we're going to put you on some immunity boost, boosters to make sure as we travel, we don't get sick. If anybody's got anything, we're, we're boosted. You know, we're taking lots of vitamin C or probiotics or whatever. I mean, I, I did a five-day trip to Pinehurst, and before I left, I, I was taking emergency, the little powdered immunity booster, for like three days because I didn't know if any of my players I had lessons with were, were had any bugs, but I didn't want to get sick and miss a great trip. So I, once again, that, I'm, I go, what, 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 what alternate universe am I living in here where these guys are that physically unprepared, let alone mentally and how they're doing physically unprepared the other thing that's gotten scrutiny is the fact that our players had five weeks off for the most part jt played in the Fortinet uh and finished in the top five prior to the Ryder cup but for the most part those guys were sitting at home uh i know they went over and played a, a practice round a few weeks before but the time that they that they laid off the european team was playing in the bmw challenge over there and of the top 10, seven of them were guys on the European Ryder Cup team. Yeah. Do we need to do something different? And I don't know why they couldn't have gone to play in the BMW. I don't know if they're not because it's a DP World Tour event. I thought the, I thought the guys that are, that are ranked in the top 50 can go play whenever they want. Could be wrong about that. But do we need to find a better way to keep our guys sharp outside of going to the driving range and, and hitting some <laughs> practice chips? Yes and yes. And and the interesting thing is it, it's played out both ways. This year, the schedule happened to fall where they had a big gap. You know, prior years, you had no gap leading up to the Ryder Cup. Guys could play right up to it, choose to not do whatever. It, it comes and goes. It really hasn't mattered either way, whether whether we were sharp or ready to go. What 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 made me laugh the, the whole time, every time I hear it, this, this is the, one of the funniest things I've ever heard is that I can't play this guy or that guy all five matches. He's got to be fresh. He's got to be fresh. I'm going five matches. You can't, as as an elite athlete, play five straight Ryder Cup matches? Are you kidding me? You have to, I, you have to fight me off to keep me off the golf course if I'm on the team. If you bench me, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be livid. I'm going to be just a dog chewing at a leash to try to get <laughs> off the leash to get on the golf course. And these guys are going, no, I need to sit out. Are you kidding me? McElroy played all five matches, 4-0-1. 4-0-1. They rode, they rode their show pony. Rode it. 4-0-1. Carol Hatton, 3-0-1. Hovland, 3-0-1. I mean, I, I don't understand the whole sitting thing. I just, you know. I, if, if you if you can't play five Ryder Cup matches, once again, I, I question your mental toughness. I question your conditioning. I question your desire to play. We've talked about the makeup of the team. I, I, it wasn't that long ago, Rob, when unlike six qualifiers plus six captain's picks, we had 10 qualifiers and two captain's picks. Is the idea that we have six captain's picks too many? 
Um, great question. I mean, we keep modifying the the process, and and when we lose, we question whether we're doing it right or wrong and modify it again. I mean, my thought on that has always been really simple. January one of the Ryder Cup year is when you start getting points. It's as simple as that. Why are we giving points the year before? Doesn't make sense to me. It's a Ryder Cup year. Start in the Ryder Cup year. Start. I don't care. Do give give points between the majors. Go between Augusta and the Open Championship, and between those those four events over four months, we give Ryder Cup points. So you, you compass four majors and all the really big events. You know the, the Quail Hollows, the Memorials. You know all the top events. You know where you're you're playing great golf courses, and give Ryder, Ryder Cup points there. I mean, I don't know that it's a matter of six captain's picks or two captain's picks or whatever it is. But I think if you're going to take captain's picks, you better be smarter about it. And, and you know, everybody says, you know, everybody criticized um, Hoygaard and uh, Aberg and McIntyre. Oh, they're the weak links. They're the weak links. They're the weak links. Really? They're the weak links. These are all world-class players. I've never understood why for years our captain's choices were guys that were veterans. They'd been there. They'd been in Ryder Cup. Yeah. And they were four, 10, and one on the record. You know, <laughs> yeah, they've got experience. It's bad experience. They're lousy in the Ryder Cup. Put fresh blood in. Put someone hungry in there that wants to play. Someone young that's got a little fire. Stop trotting out guys that got their butt beat, you know, year after year after year in the Ryder Cup. That's why when Tiger wasn't on the team, I didn't care because his Ryder Cup record sucked. Yeah, so that uh, let's take that a step further, because I think that is where people are looking towards as the guy who should be the next Ryder Cup captain. It should be Tiger Woods. And look, I know all the players love him. He's a legend, one of the greatest of all time. If he's not one, he's 1A. I get all of that. But his Ryder Cup record is really bad. So yeah. are, are, are we trotting out a guy that, like you were talking about throughout this segment, We've trotted out a bunch of captains and assistant captains with really bad losing records. So let's go a different direction. Well, that direction can't be Tiger Woods then. Yeah, I think I think Tiger would be a terrible captain. I think he'd be an awful captain. Just when you think about him personally, stoic, okay? He gets fired up by himself, you know, what he does, you know, you don't you don't hear a lot of motivational words out of him, okay? I don't know that he's a great leader. You know, I don't know that he wants to take the time to do it. So, you know, I don't know. He's he's been invisible since he stepped back from you know Augusta. I don't even know what he's doing. No one knows what he's doing. No one's seen him. I he, I think he would be a lousy captain. I think you got to go back and look back and go, who brings fire? Who brings passion? Who's who's going to bring energy to it? Because we're going to Bethpage. And someone made the comment the other day that if this team's getting skunked, the New York crowds are going to turn on the U.S. team. <laughs> right. We could get booed at, at a home game. Yeah. So who do you like to be the next captain? Who do you think that person should be? Boy, I haven't given that any thought. Um, the next captain, who should it be? 
trying to wander through names real quickly in my head because they keep they keep picking players that have played in a Ryder Cup. So everybody that has been a captain has Ryder Cup experience. I'd look outside that. I'd look for somebody that, you know, like I said, is, is you know, you talk to them and you can see it in their eyes. They've got fire. Like, like just take, take Brian Harmon, for example. If Brian didn't play this year, here's a, just the guy's a bulldog. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a name. Kevin Kisner. Kevin Kisner. Wow. Why Kiz? Kiz? Think about Kiz. Think about some of the things you've heard people say to him and his responses back. Like, that's why my name's on my bag or I'm that good. You know, he's he's got an attitude. We need someone with attitude and it's got to be an outward attitude. You know, like I said, Zach's a great guy. And a bulldog, but it's all insular. I can't imagine. I've been around Zach very little. I can't imagine what a Zach Johnson inspirational speech sounds like. I mean, I can't. I mean, it. It, it to me, it makes me laugh. <laughs> so let's get really radical. Does it have to be someone from inside the game of golf? You I mentioned thought that thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you you mentioned Herb Brooks, and obviously Herb isn't with us anymore. But would you reach outside the game to find somebody like that and bring him in? Because again, you you're not out there playing; you're just trying to put the best guys in the right positions, and you're trying to motivate them. Maybe it doesn't need to be a golf guy. I, I think it does, but in the vice captain spot, I think I would look harder at that. If I'm going to bring in an outside golf person to bring a little little heat to that. You know, bringing a Mike Ruzioni or somebody, you know, to to be a vice captain. Um, you know, one of our guys, an Italian guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we need we need more Italians, you know, you want to talk about captains, find some Italians. You know, bring in bring in, you know, the guys that you know, we talk like this, you know. <laughs> hey, boys, boys, look at we got we got a place that are here. Understand me and Guido. We don't like losing. <laughs> So let's 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 get out there and have a little fire or or else. <laughs> get your players, make them an offer they can't refuse. Exactly. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. But yeah, I mean I look around a little differently if if I'm looking at it. And I look at the captain. The captain, you know, I I've talked to Paul Azinger. Okay. Paul's a great guy. We had the same coach, Jim Suddy, throughout our career. And you know, Paul's a captain. If I played for a captain, I'd want to play for him. The mm. guy, the guy just, he'll make you want to run through a brick wall. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what you got to have in a captain. You got to have someone that brings, brings that level of get up and go and fight. And, you know, that's, that's right. Look. Yeah, I agree. I like the idea. Rob, just a couple more before I let you go. Your golf school is located on Kelly Plantation Golf Club in Destin, Florida. You've got a, a wonderful indoor facility down there as well. Let our listeners know about all the things you have to offer when they come to get a lesson from you. Well, we've got a great facility at Kelly Plantation Golf Club in Destin. The practice area, the putting green, the short game area is, is first class. We get a lot of, of, of great work done with our players there. We can We can check everything. The golf course is a great place to do playing lessons. And then 
the indoor facility will give all the tech and sim there that you'd ever want to have to dial it in even more. So it's just, it's a fun place. We call it the sanctuary. It's our little hideout when we want to get in there and use some tech or get out of the elements. So it's, you know, we've got a great setup down here and really blessed to be able to have it. Your show is fantastic that people can watch in a lot of different areas. Talk about the golf kingdom and what they'll see if they haven't already become uh, a, a watcher and a subscriber. Tell them what they'll find on your golf show. Well, the golf kingdom is golf's number one variety show. It's not just golf bland. Here's a tip. We, uh, we kind of skid it up a little bit, lots of skits and we just use props and costumes and all kinds of, you know, different things to help you remember the tip we're giving you. It's different if I just stand there and just go, here's a tip for fixing over the top. But if I've got an aviator's helmet on and, and, you know, and we're talking about how to fly the golf ball and why it flies and, and how this helps you with your golf swing, you tend to remember what's being said because we put a hook to it. So the Golf Kingdom, we're finishing up season five. Um, you can find all the shows out on our YouTube channel, the Golf Kingdom TV show. We're on Roku. We've got a big following on Roku. Um, I, I, I wish we had as big a following on YouTube. We, we'd love to have as many else subscribe to our YouTube channel for the show and, and watch it there. And, and um, you know, some of the shows are on Amazon. So, you know, it, it's out there to be watched. It's up and down the Gulf Coast live here. So if you're down in the Gulf Coast, you can catch it on live TV down here. But we just we have a blast doing it. And you've had some fantastic guests over the years on your show. And to your point, the thing that I love most about what you do is the instruction that you give us and the tips that you give us and the way that we can do things right at home with some household items or in our backyard or in our office. Talk about some of the wonderful things that uh, you've shown us how to do right here that we can do at home. We don't have to go to the golf course to get better. Well, if you go and find the latest show on YouTube, you can find how to use a roll of toilet paper to fix your backswing and fix your impact. So it just it's very simple. You just take a roll of toilet paper brand new and just slide it down the shaft of your club. And as you swing back, you don't want to feel like you're unrolling the roll of toilet paper. If you do that, your hands will stay calm. And you can see where, you know, you keep the toilet paper outside your hands as you go back. You don't take the toilet paper roll and put it behind your hand. So if you just imagine you're holding the club in front of you, and you start twisting your hands like you're unrolling that toilet paper, well, that would be the wrong move. And then when you start down, you, know, you swing back, the toilet paper comes up to your hands, comes down to the grip. So when you swing down, you keep it there as long as you can. And then right at the bottom, when you want the club to turn the corner, as Brian Manzella says, you turn the corner at the club and you snap that roll of toilet paper right into the head, right where you would at impact. So something simple like that, which we did in our build it segment right off the bat, is a, is a fun way to practice at home when you can't get to the golf course. Rob, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night for an 18th time to come back and be a part of the show. I'm, I mean it sincerely when I say the show is, we're blessed that it has won several awards, but the reason why it's won several awards are guests like you. You've come back 18 times. You share great content. You make the segment so much fun to be a part of, and you teach us something along the way. I can't thank you enough for doing it again tonight. Hey, I'm always willing to be here. And 18 times, I'm going to go sign my scorecard, make sure I check check it and get it right. Um, 
in the scores tent. And I'll look forward to our next visit, which will be obviously in the 19th hole. There you go. Rob, thank you so much for being here tonight. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to doing it again that 19th time. Me too. Thanks again, Chris. Take care, Rob. You too. That, that is the great Rob Strano, folks. They don't come better than Robbie. I, I just, that guy means so much to me. He has been a mentor to me over the years. I've gotten some lessons from him in the past. I enjoy his golf kingdom show because he does make it so much fun. We talk about, he talks about how it's a variety type show and it is because they do a lot of different things. Rob does a lot of different things in order to keep our attention and to make it the, the fun event that it is. Every time you turn it on, he's going to teach you something that you can do right there at home or you can take to the driving range or the golf course with you, but he's going to make it fun for you. And he's also going to make it something that is going to turn your game into what you always hoped it would be. He talks about a hook to it. There are hooks all along the skits that he does that resonate with you and that you can go do and take from the show into your own practice routine. So go out there and subscribe to it on YouTube, on Roku. And I promise you, Rob will be back as part of the show because, again, this show is successful because Rob has been a key part to making it a success. I can't thank him enough for all of, all of his content and all of his time. We'll get him back on the show again soon. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patrick, Frank Darby, Andy Trainer, and Rob Strano for joining me this week. Next week, it's going to be Girls' Night Out Part 2, and I'll be joined by former PGA of America president and now president of Golf Nation, Susie Whaley, will be back with us. Mark Kalkovecki is better and funnier half. Brenda Kalkovecchia will be back with me. As will the Director of Instruction at Bethpage State Park, Megan Yonkman. And making her next on the tee debut is going to be Giovanni Rojas, who is doing great things with her adaptive golf program. So folks, it's going to be a really fun show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. I want to remind everyone that you can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. But in particular, we're out there on TribLive.com, which is a part of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review's online newspaper. Just click TribLive.com, click on sports, and then podcasts, and you'll find the show there. You can also find us on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audioboom, and Player.fm. And as always, thank you to Good Pods for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and stream your favorite podcast on your favorite device. But again, most of all, my sincere thanks to all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.